Have you ever found yourself maybe even only at least once in a while wondering, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want from me, God? Not, not in an exasperated way, but in a sort of pursuit of faithfulness way. How then shall I live, God? We ask these kinds of questions because it's complicated. The world, it's complex, and each one of us is complicated too. Life and faith, the big stuff, the real stuff, it's complicated. Uh, Baron Friedrich von Hugel, 19th century Austrian Christian apologist once wrote, the deeper into reality we go, the more numerous will be the questions we cannot answer. I think that's his way of saying it's really complicated. So what do you want me to do, God? What do you want from me? How shall I live? And then, and then like, like a, a morning sunrise, sometimes you just get the beauty of clarity amidst the complexity. At least the prophet Micah seems to think so. Micah 6, 8, he's told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. Do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. In the midst of the complexities, a little clarity for those of us who are asking, what do you want me to do, God? Brene Brown once told me, clarity is kindness and Micah provides it. Micah, one of the ten minor prophets, not called minor because of their value, but because of their, the length of their book in the Bible. Micah is mostly concerned about economic inequities that wreak havoc on the world then, but I'm pretty sure he'd be fine with us acknowledging all of the other inequities that wreak havoc on our world now. And in the midst of the complexities, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. In this season of elections when the polls are open and in their aftermath, we're trying to figure out what, what should we do? How shall we live? How about do justice? and love kindness, and walk humbly with God. In a, in, a, in, a, in a social moment with its platforms yelling at you all of their opinions as if a login and a password equals discernment and wisdom, and you're trying to figure out how to make sense of it all. How about do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God? In, in an economic world where it, it seems like there's really so much to go around and yet so Many have so little while so few have so much and you're trying to figure out what to do with your resources. How about do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God? The sublimation of God's heart into the clarity of a prophet word is preceded by this sort of crescendoing effect in Micah's gospel and Micah's prophecy. It, it's it starts with God's anger, his deep disappointment over the disturbances of our lives, the waywardness of our lives wreaking havoc on the world. And then, and then it gives way to God's future restoration. One day, everything's going to be right. And then Micah moves back to God's grace, all of it inviting us, all of it calling us, all of it urging us on to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. The anger of God shows up in the first chapter of Micah. 
Chapter 1, verse 3, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Then the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will burst open like wax near the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. And all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. God is not immune to a broken heart that shows up in anger every once in a while. God is not okay with the way things are as they are. He's not okay with so many having so little and so few having so much. He's not okay with the systems of economic and political and religious power preserving the status quo rather than pursuing God's kingdom. He's not okay with each of us treating one another according to the color of our skin or the income amounts in our banks or the education statuses of our lives rather than the dignity of each of us being made in the image of God. He's not okay And God's anger comes down not to judge and punish and crush, but rather to awaken us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. And then God's anger crescendos towards this future restoration. God's going to make it all right. Chapter 4, verse 3, he shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. No one will be afraid. Finally, no reason to be afraid in a nuclear age with trigger happy fingers, no reason to be afraid. In an anxious world, the second pandemic as it crushes pounds on the, soles of our, the, the shores of our souls, no reason to be afraid one day. All the little ones are gonna have a home one day. All of the colors of all of the people and all of the places around the entire globe will gather around one throne and worship Jesus Christ. All of the wars and all of the violence and all of the pains will finally give way to a kingdom of peace where mercy rules and grace reigns and flourishing is just normal. And Micah's vision of what will be one day is not meant to leave our heads in the clouds, but rather get our feet on the ground, do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. And then Micah's prophecy crescendos from God's anger, chapters one through three, and God's hope for a future restoration, chapters four and five, to God's grace in chapter six. Verse four, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Arian, and Miriam, all my people, remember, Now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. God remembers for us how good he's been to us, so gracious. And and Micah's prophecy was written in like 700 B.C. We have 2,700 years more of the expressions of God's grace playing out their reality in our lives, and the best expression is Jesus Christ himself, God's grace in the flesh, who suffered and died to forgive and rose from the dead to redeem so that you might have life. And God's grace not meant to be something we hoard and accumulate and and give us permission into complacency, but rather an invitation to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. Micah's prophecy is held together by this triad 
God's anger gives way to God's future restoration, returns to God's grace. There's a pair of triads in Micah's prophecy. They hold hands. They go together. The first triad, anger, restoration, grace, coupled with justice, kindness, walk humbly. God's anger gives way to justice. God's future restoration gives way to loving kindness. God's grace leads us to walk humbly. Do you see how they hold hands? And in the midst of all of the prophecy of Micah, I want you to notice just one word, one simple word, this word, and. Of all the big words in Micah's prophecy, just that little three-letter word, and. The conjunction word that holds it all together, that conjunction word like the glue keeping everything together. Do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. It's not one or the other. But the culmination of all three, it's like the three in one ought to make some sense to Christian believers. Do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. I know plenty of people who are passionate for justice, justice warriors. They can imagine a more just society, but too often I don't, they don't strike me as particularly kind or very humble at all. And I know all kinds of people who are really quite nice, kind people. Can you say West Michigan? But justice is an afterthought if it's a thought, and humility isn't their strong suit either, no offense. And I know a few people who walk humbly, but their spine for justice is curved in on itself, and their capacity for kindness is really only another way to get people to like them. But you don't get to choose one or the other. God's not assessing your strength finders index or asking you what Enneagram number you are, what motivates you, or even actually how you're feeling at any given moment just says do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. Justice, for whatever reason, some words in our vocabulary seem to, seem to be confiscated and we're not sure how to use them anymore. Justice seems to me to be one of those words, but I don't want to give justice away. Justice, it has to do with treating people the way they deserve to be treated, not because of what they've done, but because of who they are. And everyone you've ever met in every place in all times is made in the image of God, an image bearer of the living God, and so deserves to be treated justly because they're made in God's image. They have dignity because of who they are. So do justice. I like the way C.S. Lewis uh, says it once, uh, the holiest object in your view next to the blessed sacrament itself is your neighbor. So do justice and love kindness. The word here in Micah 6, 8 is chesed. It's the Bible's way of reaching down into the bottom of the vocabulary to pull out the best word, loving kindness. This extravagant, excessive, endless. It really has no beginning and really knows no end. It just keeps flowing like a mountain waterfall. You really can't see where the water starts. And you really don't see where the water ends. It just keeps flowing, loving kindness. Blow the mind of your neighbor with kindness. Shock the workspace colleagues with kindness. It never stops. It never ends. Justice is giving someone what they deserve because of who they are. Kindness is just effusive, overflowing goodness. Do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. Walk. It's the speed of faith. Walk. There's all kinds of walking. Uh, there's the 
speed walking, there's exercise walking, there's walking your dog walking, there's I'm late for class again walking. When I was in Colorado this summer at a place called Restoring the Soul, I'd wake up at unseemly hours every morning because of the time change, 3.34, I'd get out of bed, I'd grab a cup of decaf coffee because I'm a lightweight and I'd throw on my flip-flops and I'd walk along the foothills of the Rockies as the sun would begin to rise Walk humbly with God at a pace where your coffee won't spill and your flip-flops won't break. Walk humbly with God. It's the speed of faith. We walk humbly with God because God is so willing to walk with us. God took on flesh in Jesus Christ to walk with us. He took on the vulnerabilities of the womb and the infantile dangers of first century life. He suffered and died to forgive, went to the grave to defeat sin and death, and rose up in resurrection that you might have life and have it everlasting. God walked with us so that we might walk humbly with God. I read a book this summer by a guy named Kosake Koyama, titled Three Mile an Hour God. Just think about that for a second. God walks slowly because he is love. If he's not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we're accustomed. It's slow, yet it's Lord over all other speeds since it's the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by storm or not, at three miles an hour. It's the speed we walk, and therefore it's the speed the love of God walks. Don't outpace God and your commitment to justice. Don't outrun God and your capacity to do kindness. God is the barometer. God is the center. God is the plumb line. God is that which against which everything else is measured. And God became flesh in Jesus Christ. God walked with us at three miles an hour so that we might walk humbly with God. So what do you want me to do, we ask in this complicated world? What do you want from me, God, in this complex world? How shall I live? Ever asked, ever wondered, even if in the quietness of an evening by yourself, We're complicated. We are complicated people. Uh, I majored in chemistry, so I studied a bunch of other sciences, too. I think this is right. I think there's there's something called, you'll have to Google this to verify me. Uh, There's something called quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics suggests there's these, like, electrons that are spinning in our bodies at, like, an oval-shaped at an extremely rapid pace, and the, and the, the spinning of the electron actually kind of acts like it has a magnetic pull that sort of glues us together, otherwise we'd be like this blob of flesh, but we're held together by this magnetic pull. This is actually how I justify being a crazy sports fan. I, there's actually a magnetic pull in my body, and when you get like 113,000 of the same kinds of people rooting in the same sort of direction, our collective magnetic pull can actually affect the outcome of a game. This is how I rationalize my unhealth. It's also my way of highlighting we are really complex people, complicated people who are held together by some magnetic pull we can't see. And when 
and, and each of us individually is complicated, and then you get a bunch of us together in, like, say, I don't know, a family, it can get really complicated, or maybe in, like, a neighborhood, it gets really complicated, or maybe, like, in a church or in a community or even in, a, in like, a nation, it gets really complicated really fast because each of us are so complicated, and when you put a bunch of us together, the complications go up parabolically. So what are you going to do in this complicated world? What do you want from me, God? How shall I live, God? What does it look like to witness to the beauty of Jesus, at least in this country, where there's only two political parties, really? Really? There's two choices? What does it look like to witness to the beauty of Jesus in a, in a, in a moment when, the, when, the, when rights and liberty are the currency and there's counterfeits everywhere? What does it look like to witness to the beauty of Jesus in our families, fully aware that living rooms and neighborhoods and even national borders are so permeable, it's never just your nuclear family? What does it look like to witness to the beauty of Jesus in a nuclear age confiscated by news media? What does it look like to witness to the beauty of Jesus in a moment when people of color are used as stump speech arguments rather than another to know and to love? What does it look like to witness to the beauty of Jesus when so much of the world's wealth is held in so few banks that most people have no access to? What does it look like to witness to the beauty of Jesus in a moment where politicians and their families feel threatened for their lives because the pursuit of the common good is not all that common? What does it look like to witness to the beauty of Jesus in this complicated age? What do you want me to do, God? What do you want from me, God? In the midst of the complexity, Micah offers clarity. Do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. The triad in Micah's prophecy, anger gives way to restoration, promises grace, grace made visible for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ who meets us here. Your complicated life, this complicated world, come to the table today in this virtual way. Maybe you've got bread and wine, maybe you've got crackers and juice. If you believe Jesus is Lord and long for him to return Come to the table today. If you're not at that place in life or faith or for any number of other reasons, don't want to partake of communion, uh, I'd love to hear some of your story. Maybe we could get together, John, J-O-N, at pillarchurch.com. For those who do partake, come as you're ready.